I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store. Capital has never really been about fashion. It's always been about people. What We Wore was created to share the meaningful journeys that inspire me. From the designers and friends I meet on the road to the men and women with whom I work each day. Everybody wants to know her Thank you so much for tuning in to season three of What We Wore. We're so grateful for those of you who tune in each week. This episode takes a look back at some of our favorite moments from season three. Stay tuned for a wellness capsule this summer and season four in the fall. We love emerging brands and it's been a pleasure to help the talented women of Cara Cara launch their brand this spring at Pool Shop. Is there anything that you wish you'd known before starting this business? I think one thing that I wish that I had known is that you don't have to be as afraid as you probably are, that you can do it. And if you are willing to put in the hours and you're willing to compromise and willing to communicate and you can just take the leap and trust that your hard work and like a commitment to following through on whatever you're looking at is 80% of the game, of any game. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't start doing what they want to do because there's a lot of fear involved. Nellie Parto is a champion boxer and a talented fashion designer. I think the thing that is so interesting from talking to designers and learning about their stories is that everybody comes from these different backgrounds of all different jobs and careers and they come they all end up you know funneling into this and that you realize that nothing is wasted um, nothing is a mistake it's all leading up to this moment oh I agree you know and I think when you're young you feel like you want that one thing you know you, you think that you're supposed to have it I guess, right then. And it does take years and years and different experiences to become what you really want it to be. It's so true. And I think that's the hardest thing. You know, you grow up wanting something or seeing something that you feel like, you know, and you forget you have to learn to crawl before you can walk, before you can run. And (laughs) and one of the biggest things that I've tried to kind of, you know, remind myself and, and, you know, definitely forget from time to time is, you know, you really do have to enjoy the journey. You really have to kind of savor it. And, and as you said, even the mistakes are not mistakes, you know, back to boxing, the biggest lessons I learned were, were the fights that I lost, you know, you learn so much Mm -hmm. from those, you know, more so than the ones you won. So absolutely. It's not an easy thing to remember, but, you know, kind of in this moment with everything happening with COVID, in a sense, with regards to business, it was a blessing in disguise. And, and we may not know the answers to it all right in this moment, but it, it will it will for sure reveal itself. Well, and I also think that it is like boxing. I mean, in, in like 2008 for us, too, is like it really is a fight or flight, Absolutely. you know, it's sort of. You, e- you either stay for the fight or you give up. I think all entrepreneurs have that gut. There's difficult times, but you just get back up and you you figure out a new path and you figure out a way. JJ Martin is the founder of La Double J, a collection centered around color and print. 
seems like you've really found um, a little bit of a new calling and, and honestly, JJ being sort of a spiritual guide to people. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah. I mean, to be perfectly honest, like I'd love to become a life coach, you know, yeah. or <laughs> yeah. to be honest, because I feel like that's actually the thing that I do best. And whenever mm-hmm. I meet people, I get, I get these like imprints immediately upon meeting people about what they need. And in the past, you know, I've been so bossy that probably no one was ever listening to what I really had to say because I was delivering it in such a crappy way. I really realized that I think I can help people because I myself went through a lot uh, in my life. There was a lot of hardship that I had to go through. Sarah Olin is a professional coach based in Charlotte, North Carolina. Why do you think that self-development is important? I think it's changed. Every generation gets better and better. You know, what we do and read and think and go out, I mean, it was just so different. Mm. Even if I think about Mirabelle's childhood and my childhood, in my mom's childhood, and how so totally different. And I think that we have so much more information now Mm. that it's a shame to waste it. Mm -hmm you know, and people don't have to suffer Mm -hmm. and be unhappy and do things that they don't want to do that so many things are changing and transforming. Yeah. For women in particular, learning how to access their power. It's an amazing time. Yeah, it is. There's so many things that you're doing and helping and just to watch you work is so exciting for me. Oh, thank you. Stacy Platt is a holistic healing guide based in Los Angeles. We're, we're all these like really unique divine sparks and we're here for a purpose. And it's actually a really simple formula for finding out what that purpose is. And I really think the starting point is just to like notice what you're drawn to. And it's just that pull of your own soul, right? Mm-hmm. And we're all unique and we all have our own pull. Yeah. And to just let yourself be drawn by that. People don't even know what they like. I, I mean, know, you I know. know, yeah. You know, and I guess maybe a preliminary step mm-hmm. is to, I'm not really sure actually how the order goes, but <laughs> but to, you know, notice, notice the incoming voices, mm-hmm. right? And start to distinguish what's, what's mine, what's... Yeah. expectations right. of, of me, mm-hmm. you know, by my parents, by society. Mm-hmm. We know we are a part of our, you know, cultural upbringing and, mm-hmm. and place and all these things. But we can choose like how strong our identification is mm-hmm. and what aspects of that is serving us, what aspects aren't serving us mm-hmm. and choose to relate in a, in a different way mm-hmm. and takes courage. Vivian Howard is a new friend of mine, and we share a love for North Carolina and the greater South. Yeah, a lot of my friends from growing up from boarding school will say, why are you in North Carolina? Like, why? You should be in New York. You should. And I've, and I've never felt like I wanted to be anywhere else, but um, I do hear that chatter a lot and wonder, how, how do you quiet that? Well, I decided that I just couldn't reconcile just running a mediocre restaurant in the middle of nowhere. I just like, I was not going to, it was not okay with me. And I like, I used to keep a journal and I wrote in my journal, 
I will not let my location determine the quality and reach of my work. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah, and you know, people still to this day are like, why are you, why do you still live there? Are you going to move to Raleigh? Or, and I'm like, do you think that I would have had <laughs> half the success that I have understood yeah. anywhere but where I am? Yeah. And and I'm happy where I am. Yeah, I and am too. I get to go other places as much as I want, more than yeah, I want. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I do like leaving home, but I really, really like coming home. Yes. There's nothing like it. David Benedetto is a dear friend and the creative force behind Garden and Gun. You've been very successful, but what does success mean for you? Now, success for me is connected with doing well and doing good. And, and I think about this magazine and I hope that we are portraying an inclusive South, mm. you know, a progressive South and showing folks. Um, I mean, look, I know there are some awful parts of the South, but it's really nice to work at a place where we can shine a light on the great parts of this place and the work being done to understand our past and yeah. to make things better. For me, that's coupled. Of course, everybody loves the awards, and, and I do too, because I'm as competitive <laughs> as they get. I really am. But it's it's meant something to have those awards, but also know at, at night that you're doing something good. Yeah. You know, that that it makes a difference. I mean, really, how many people get to say that? Not many. You know, like that is so special. And, and you know, of course, I said I, I worry a lot. And sometimes I worry like, oh, my gosh, it's so good. <laughs> I can't stop. Um, but... Uh, yeah, that's sort of my idea of success. And and again, kids, you know, coming home at night and, you know, Jenny and I, uh, wow, I'm getting deep, worked really hard to have children. Yeah. Really, really hard. Years. Infertility doctors, everything. And we were successful eventually. And it was terrific. And I think I, we both appreciate those children so much more for knowing how close we were to not having them. Yeah. So coming home at night and, and hearing, you know, laughing and smiling and, and or crying and screaming, you know, like that is part of it. It, it just feels good and yeah. successful. Yeah. You know, we're just happy and content. You know, I think I would have said 10 years ago, it would have been much more about work. Yeah. And now life is kind of folded in in a way that I appreciate all of it, not just a great fishing day. Mm -hmm. You know, I appreciate a wonderful breakfast at the table where Sam's telling a joke and Rosie's throwing eggs across the, you know, the room <laughs> and the dogs, you know, jumping up and licking the milk. But you know, that's really, you know, that's what we remember. Yeah. You know, I'm, that's what I'm going to think about 40 years from now, 50 years from now. It's not, a, you know, awards dinner. Award. <laughs> right. I was thrilled to sit down with actress and friend, Jessica Capshaw. When I say I've worked with people, always go like, "How do you do it all, and how do you balance it?" And I always say, "Like, it's not a balance. It's mm -hmm. a, it's on any given day, I'm a better actress than I am a mother because mm -hmm. I didn't show up for X, Y, or Z right. for my kid, but I I really showed up for my job. Or I'm a better wife mm -hmm. than I was a parent, or whatever it is. So I, I feel like every day my purpose shifts. Mm -hmm. I've gotten very excited about letting each day be." Like, show me what yeah. my purpose is. Yeah. And I feel like for work, it's really about finding stories to tell that excite me. I think it's a really fascinating time for women. And I think that there's sort of this idea that women between like 35 and 65 are sort of like 
the ultimate consumers, but at the at the same time are sort of being no really marginalized. Yeah. And so people are getting sort of hip to that, but at the same time, it's sort of it's slow moving on some level. I feel like telling those stories, like I have a I have a passion and a purpose when it comes to that. I've sort of been waking myself up to the idea and being convinced by others that uh, that I can write and yeah. that I can produce. You are an English major. I can exactly, and that <laughs> I can do all these things. Yeah, even though I haven't yet. Ruth Runberg is a former buyer at Browns, Barneys, and here at Capital. You came from Saks to me to work with, <laughs> with us in 2007, I think, which was is such a talk about a trajectory, like the height, height, height of consumerism <laughs> to 2008, the end of the world <laughs> in dealing with COVID-19, really. I think you and I and the people that went through that at that time, you know, Jenny, Catherine, Nicole, all mm-hmm. of us, I think there's a different resilience. And who knows what will happen through this or when when, or if this will ever end. <laughs> but I do think that we survived that. And I feel like I have a totally different perspective than I would have had. I always say I'm grateful for it, but really, really grateful for that experience, no matter how horribly awful and scary and hard it was. I, I can see that. Well, and, don't and, and you it was remember. different then, also, Ruth, because the, it was different then because it felt like, uh, honestly, like the luxury industry was the only, we were sort of the only people that were really affected. I don't mm-hmm. know. Not, that's not true, but I know what you mean by that. We it, were affected in a different way than everybody else, I guess. Right. Well, there was such an awareness of conspicuous consumer, conspicuous consumption, which, you know, I think shows the resilience of the industry because what emerged from that sort of avoidance of conspicuous consumption Phoebe Philo and Celine yeah so everything we went from I mean don't you remember that last season in Paris I think that while you and I were in Paris Lehman fell right at first union did and Uh, Lehman I mean it and we were over in Paris and (laughs) and I mean don't you remember I I mean first of all there was there there was the the shoes were like the oh platforms were sky high. The, the Nicholas heels. Kirkwood, those things that were really like you could, <laughs> they were like clown shoes. You couldn't walk. Everything was sky high shoes and sequins. feathers and sequins. <laughs> and it was the most over the top, yep. decadent kind of ridiculousness. Last hurrah <laughs> that everyone was wearing. I, I specifically remember in the middle of the day in Paris, walking across Place Vendôme with you and seeing people literally dragging furs behind them. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I look back on that now and think, man, what we were wearing was so decadent and over the top and um, kind of ushered in a new era of austerity. Yeah, so, which was so beautiful. Which was so oh beautiful God. and felt so nice. When, when Phoebe showed that first season it kind of pushed a reset button and fashion completely changed from well, one and season also, to the next and I do think you're right the shoes I mean remember Lomven with the ballet flats and then Phoebe with the vans right uh, and that was so crazy and I can remember clients saying oh, oh I could I could never wear a flat you know like that just doesn't happen <laughs> right. I don't wear flats you know <laughs> isn't it wild what? and then now everybody's wearing sneakers I yeah mean, it's, <laughs> yeah it's amazing how it evolved Caroline Weller is the founder of Benjamin. Do you think it'll change your design process and sort of what you're designing and why? Well, I, I've been designing right now in quarantine. I'm still working away with my team and we're designing next spring and summer. 
And I have noticed that the collection we've put together for next spring and summer, it's definitely one of the favorite collections of prints that I've ever put together. And they are, and I hadn't realized this now until I just said Princess, Princess Margaret, but the inspiration for next spring and summer is actually, it's 1978 in the UK, which is the year, which was the year of the Queen's Silver Jubilee in 1978. Right. And it was also when I was that age, we used to go on holiday to uh, North Wales because, of course, we didn't go abroad in those days. It was far too kind of, you know, chic and exotic to go abroad. So we would go on a holiday in North Wales where it rained continuously for two weeks in the summer. But it has this incredible seascape in North Wales. It's really rough and ready and they have incredible birds and puffins and all of that. So all of the prints that I've designed for next spring and summer are based around kind of seabirds 1978 and the queen's silver jubilee so i don't know where that came from or why but it's incredibly joyful 70s you know the queen princess margaret i don't know but i don't know where that came from but it's it's come out of quarantine i really do feel that when we get out of this people are just going to want to kind of celebrate and party and i know that we have to be socially distance or whatever's going to happen but I do feel that we're going to feel the sense of kind of liberty ease we're not going to want rules we're not going to want things that are zipped up we're going to want to let loose what did you wear to the prom so it was three layers of a bias cut white silk georgette that's amazing. You made the pattern? We made the pattern. Good Lord. But it was so chic. My boyfriend at the time went to this Catholic school. They did not know <laughs> what it hit them. These girls were in like puffball dresses and I walked in in this like bias oh, wow. slip dress. But I loved that dress so That's much. fab. The cheap rented tux. My mother raised four boys. My dad was a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Style was not something they were concerned about. Right a strapless short dress which was kind of radical because everyone was wearing long gowns and so this was a strapless kind of sheath dress that was above the knee and it was um, really thin oh my gosh it was actually kind of gross it was like a it was like (laughs) some kind of lurex blend but it was really pretty it was a white. It was very oh traditional. God, I, I was going to say, please be white. That's so funny. <laughs> it was white, and it was it was strapless. Uh-huh. It was form fitting, and it went all the way down to the ground. Mm-hmm. And it had just sort of layers, you know, a couple layers so along pretty. the way. And it had a sort of a there was a pattern in it. Okay. And I feel like it had a little sparkle to okay. it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> If it was the 80s. <laughs> it was absolutely the 80s, and it reflected the 80s. <laughs> more ways than one. <laughs> totally. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. What We Wore is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. 
Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.